while you're turning there, uh, we are at the end. <clears throat> We're going to take up our Christmas for Christ uh, offering. And um, if you uh, just want to make a commitment, you've got until the end of January uh, to take care of that. But that does uh, help churches get started uh, here throughout uh, the United States. And uh, there's a great need of of churches that are really able to just make a difference uh, in in our world today. And uh, so we'll, we'll do that <clears throat> at the end. And uh, I feel Christmassy this morning. Got this green Bible. And uh, it's an R.L. Allen. It's a full yap. It's a KJV. And um, Sister Tina Kasky, thank you. Um, her and <clears throat> Johnny uh, bought me this Bible. And um, the occasion was on uh, September the 5th, 2018. And um, so I thought, I, I feel Christmassy this morning. And that's when Amanda and Jonathan got married. And uh, so I like this green Bible this morning. I'm going to read a familiar passage of text here to you today. And uh, I'm going to read the first 20 verses. Y'all, can you stand that long? I think you can. Uh, Luke chapter 2, and beginning in verse 1, the Bible says there, And it came to pass... In those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in that same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. It came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they which heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And uh, I want to preach to you 
on this thought about the miracle of majesty. And I want us to pray this morning. And let's ask the Lord to touch and minister to our hearts while the word of the Lord is preached here today. Lord, we are, God, thankful on this Christmas Eve. Lord, to be able to gather and to worship. God, you really are the reason for the season. I ask you, Lord, today, God, that that you would let our minds be open and, and receptive, Jesus, to what you would say to us here, God, this morning. I know, Lord, that there's a lot of commitments and responsibilities, God, that we have Lord, for the rest of this day and even tomorrow. But I pray, God, for the next little while, God, that you would take us, Lord, to Bethlehem. We we can't go there, Lord, physically, but I pray, God, today that in our minds and in our spirits, help us, Jesus, to visit, Lord, that scene. I, I pray, God, today, help me, Lord, as a preacher, God, to be able to describe and to show, God, your church, Lord, what it was like on that that day when you came, Lord, and robed yourself in flesh so that there would be redemption and salvation, Jesus, that would be supplied for us. I ask you, Lord, that today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. The miracle of majesty. This story, you know commonly for the seasons that at least a couple of times a year you generally know what a preacher's going to preach about. And you know that on the Sunday around or prior to Christmas, it's always going to be this scene about the birth of the Lord. And then you know that when Easter Sunday gets here, it's always going to be about the resurrection. And so generally those two Sundays out of the other uh, 50, you know the subject that is going to be addressed and talked about that. And, and I think that's not all bad because what it does is it draws us in to what's taking place. But you start looking at what Luke writes. He was a physician, and I'm certain that there were probably more details that he could have added Uh, to this story here, being a physician, knowing what it was like that would attend a childbirth in uh, those times. But first of all, we have to look and we have to ask ourselves, how did Mary and Joseph end up there in Bethlehem? Well, the first two verses of Luke 2 speaks to that matter. It it talks about the fact about how that there was a, a decree, a law, a commandment that was uh, that was put out there, and it was by a man that the scripture identifies as as Caesar Augustus. He determined that there would be a a census or a taxing that was going to take place there in uh, that province where that he was in charge of. Now, if you look uh, about who this man was, Caesar Augustus. How in the world did he get to the place where that he was in rulership? Well, his his name, his real name actually was um, Gaius Julius Caesar Octavianus. Now, that's quite a name, isn't it? And uh, that was his birth name, and yet or rather Julius Caesar Octavianus was uh, Gaius uh, in the front was his birth name. He, he would add Augustus to his name later on. It would be an adopted title. Now, if you know something about history, then uh, you, you discover that, that this man, this child, uh, was the emperor of Rome and he started... Uh, somewhere around 27 B.C. until 14 uh, A.D. or so, whenever he was that. He was in his early 50s whenever the Lord was born. But if you look back at the history of his life, whenever he was four years old, his father died. And so he suddenly is cast into a place where that 
uh, despite that loss of a father at four years old, he was in a, a place where that there was a lot of royalty and a lot of position in his family. His great uncle was Julius Caesar. Most of you know about Julius Caesar. Some of you just passing knowledge that you may vaguely remember him from high school whenever, I don't know if they still make folks do this, memorize those lines in Shakespeare of Julius Caesar, but that was his great uncle. And so as he moves on from four years old when he gets to be 19 years old, he has become such a, uh, uh, I guess, a depth, if you want to call it that, or political acumen, I guess, or if you just want to say he was a rascal, uh, by the age of 19, he had managed to become uh, the Caesar. He had become, or the, rather, the emperor. And so uh, I, I don't know how that works, but obviously I can probably figure out that there was a lot that was over uh, that where that he came into that. Some even other ancient history was that he had some rivals. You probably have heard of Antony and Cleopatra, and you know about how that that Cleopatra, she was not a, a good citizen, and yet that was some of the rivals that Caesar Augustus uh, would have to overcome uh, during his ascent up to be uh, the, the emperor there at Rome. And so he decided, he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm fixing to lock this thing down. I am fixing uh, to, uh, I don't know if that's a good, that's a deep south term, fixing. Um, he was he was going to uh, allow himself to 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 just be in charge. He he said, "I'm going to find out how many people that are under my thumb, and I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to cause these people to be have to, to surrender to a very heavy taxation." And and uh, again, he, he was married to a very shrewd woman. Her name was was Livia. And uh, between the two of them, they started their rise. Uh, if you fast forward several thousand years, I think there's probably been some of that that's taken place in American politics. And you think about the climb and the rise of a, a man, and, and then you think about the climb and rise of his wife, and I'll let you connect the dots but what I'm saying is that what took place in the first century has continued to take place even now into our days. And so yet the impact of that political decision, you, you say, well, why are, in the world are you going through all this, this background? Why, why is it important? Because here's what it does. It shows us the sovereignty of God. And about how that there's times where that whenever we look even at this dark world that we realize that God is still involved in the affairs of men. Now men may think that they're pulling the triggers and they're making the decisions and they are doing certain things to get them in to particular places and yet what is God doing? God is using every bit of that. And so here is Caesar Augustus trying to rise to the level of being a god. But it was a baby in a manger that was not trying to be God, but he was God. He, he, was, he was God. The Lord uses those political authorities back then and he uses them even today. In fact, uh, the Lord works through a lot of people to accomplish and to do His will. It's not just the political or, or the military or even the economic leaders in our world today that the Lord uses. But here's what He does. Whenever He has a plan in mind, He'll take fathers and mothers and He'll take husbands and He'll take wives and and uh, he'll take school teachers and he'll take nurses and he'll take uh, a variety of mechanics and, and salesmen and retired people and middle-aged folks and pastors and Sunday school teachers and he will use them to accomplish his task for his church just like he did 2,000 years ago. 
And so that's where that I would tell you today that whatever God has called you to do, that every single one of us ought to do it with all of our might and all of our devotion. And yet the Bible tells us in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephra, to though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And so here is what you find out that Luke tells us. He says there's a taxation that's going to take place, but the taxation is only the announcement. And so now what you've got to do is you've got to get Mary and Joseph and you've got to move them down to this place called Bethlehem uh, there. And so the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, look there at verse 3. It says the Bible says, And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth in, into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary is his spouse wife being great with child. Now here's where that you start looking at scripture and you say, well what what does the why do these details matter? Well look there in verse four. The Bible says that he also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea. That means that they were going to move uphill as they went down to Jerusalem. In fact, about 2,300 feet in sea level. That's how high that the rise would be as they made that journey, somewhere around 90 miles. And yet here's what the Scripture has to tell us, that, that it's not just something they just made. They, they were being factual whenever they said that he is going up. It's not just like, well, well we're going to go down here to Ashford. We're going to go up or down to Ashford. Are we going to go down to Cottonwood? The Scriptures matter in their details that they write that was there. And, and so it is that you start looking that this Bible that you have there in your lap, that you have there in your hands, it is the way to eternal life. It matters what the Bible has to say there. And yet God is working His purpose out 90 miles. You've got a, a teenager most likely, somewhere between 16 and and uh, 19 years, some have even put Mary as, as young as, he, as, as even as 14 and 15 years old. And now she is ready to have a child somewhere around eight to nine months that she's been carrying this baby 90 miles. Think about that. You ladies that have had children. Think about what if your husband comes in and says, hey, uh, you got to get on a donkey. You got to get on a mule. You're going to ride this thing down to Jerusalem. Well, how far is it? Oh, it's 90 miles. Are we going to ride a horse <laughs> from Dothan to Montgomery? We're going to get on this horse, and I know you're about to have this child, but we're going to put you on this horse, on this donkey, and we're going to let you ride down there and yet here's what the Lord wanted. He wanted them in Bethlehem. He wanted them there so that he could accomplish his task. Why was that? Because hundreds of years prior to that, Micah, that old prophet, had gotten that impression from the Holy Ghost. And the Lord had spoke through him prophetically and said, Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, there's a baby that's going to be born in Bethlehem. But it's not going to be just any baby. It is going to be literally the one that is going to save the world uh, from their sins. And, and even though God's plan was in action, there was no immunity that they had from it. There, there was no respite. There wasn't going to be a part where that, well, Joseph, you go down here and you leave Mary behind in Nazareth and we'll let her stay here so she can have this baby. But Scripture had already had it locked in. And she was go, going from Nazareth 
and that she was going to go to Bethlehem. I mean, can, can I tell you something about purpose? You'll find this out not only in the lives of Mary and Joseph, but you'll find it in the life of Abraham, of Isaac. You'll find it in the life of Jacob. You'll find it in the life of Joseph. You're going to find it in your life as well that purpose always has its own demands that it brings to every single one of our lives. It brings those things there into our hearts and into our spirits. And so when you start looking at purpose, here's what you have to understand, that there's times where that, that purpose is going to be attended by hardship and it's going to be attended by responsibility. It's going to be attended by challenges and by inconveniences and by expenses and by distresses. But we buy into the idea sometimes that if we're fulfilling the purpose of God, then we won't have any of that. That's... Uh, not true because if you fulfill the purpose and the will of God hardship, difficulty, challenges inconvenience, expenses and even distress is going to come into your life but I've also got to tell you this that when that purpose that God puts into your life and into your spirit here's something else that it brings in. It brings in blessing. It brings in accomplishment. It brings in discipline, which is not a bad word. But discipline is something that, that if you shirk away from the matter of discipline, there very, will be very little that God can be able to really do in your life. That's why that in the Sermon on the Mount that the Lord said, He said, when ye pray, when ye fast, when you give your alms, what was the Lord talking about? He was talking about that whenever I build this eternal kingdom that is here in this earth, there are some attendant blessings of discipline that comes in to your life. And so it's not just another routine Sunday. It's not just another routine Wednesday night Bible study. It's not just another prayer revival. It's not just uh, the responsibility, I believe, to give to a Christmas for Christ offering. What are those things doing? Those things are creating some discipline in your life so that God can really depend and work in your life. And so it is that blessing and accomplishment and, and discipline and maturity and confidence is brought into our hearts and into our lives. Why is that? It's because of God's purpose. And yet moving on, look at verses 6 and 7. And don't get nervous. I'm not going to preach through all 20 verses. Although it's only... 1047, and we're used to getting out at 12 or a little after, uh, <clears throat> so I still got a lot of time left to go, but look at verse 6. The Bible says there, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And so here's what you find out. You find out that, that what does God do? He's got a purpose. And so his purpose is, is to take Caesar Augustus and use him to tax the land. And then the Lord says, okay, but you've got to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And now the Lord tells us through his word that there's a L and D, a labor and delivery. It was going to be there in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, when they got there, was packed out. In fact, I think that scripture there that it says, and this morning, Sister Bauer, whenever she sung that song, she, there was a phrase in that. Look at verse 7. Because there was no room for them in the end. I, I would just say that that's an indicator that the place is packed out. There's times where that here in Dothan that uh, we've tried to get motel rooms for traveling ministers as they would come through and 
And there have been times where we were not able to do that. we got a softball tournament going, so we don't have any rooms here. We, we've got a BMX uh, tournament going on here, and so all the rooms are rented out. There's no way for you to be able to stay there. And so here is uh, Mary and Joseph. They get to Bethlehem, and Luke writes, no room there in the end. So let's talk about that matter of that word there, the end. The word there that, that's indicated tells us that this was not a hotel. This was not a bed and breakfast. This was a, a place where that it was like a, like a, a stable, it was like a barn. And uh, it was basically just the barnyard. Livestock were kept there. And so the owner comes to him and he says, I, I don't have any room. There's no other place to stay. But if you want to stay here in this inn, then you can do that. And I'm more than willing to admit, um, as a younger preacher, I beat on that innkeeper a little bit. Oh, what in the world? You don't have any room. You don't have any room whatsoever. You know, preachers will do that sometimes. I know that nobody else does that, but preachers will kind of have a tendency to beat on people, especially Bible characters. Peter, what in the world are you talking to the Lord like that for? Get thee behind me, Satan. Here's another one that we really like to pick on, and that's poor Job's wife. But here's what happens as you read the Bible. The more you read the Bible... And the more immersed that you get in the Scripture, you start looking at that thing a little differently. Now, this is, again, this is me reading Scripture, and so you think how you want to think, but let's, let's talk about Job for a minute. Is that, think about what Job's wife had already been through. Every one of her children are dead. Massive personal loss. Massive financial loss. And preachers have taken that phrase that she says, Oh, Job, just curse God and die. Yeah, we've had a time with that. But the more I read Scripture, the more I don't believe it was like that. Because I hope <laughs> that you husbands love your wives, and I hope that you, you wives, you love your husbands. Here's the way I look at it. Is I feel like that probably, and again, this is, just, this is just me, is that Job's wife looked at Job and said, Job, look what we've been through. You, just, just go ahead and just please, just curse God, and then you'll die. And then the flip side is preachers have had a good time with this one too. You speak like a foolish woman. That's King James. But here's the way I look. It's like when she made that plea, Job, please just curse God and, and you can die. I feel like that he probably looked at... Um, at Jobina, taking a little liberty with scripture in the story, he said, Jobina, that, that's foolish. You, you, can't, you can't talk. We can't talk like this. That's the way I look at it. So let's get from Job and now let's get to the innkeeper. That he, it wasn't like he was pushing them out. He was just saying, look, I, I, I can't help you. You ever felt like that? You, you ever Have you ever been in a place where that somebody come up to you and maybe they needed money, maybe they needed some kind of whatever, and, and you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. All I can do is, is pray. I don't have enough money to fix your situation there, there's not enough counselors 
that can take care of the things that's working in your mind. I, I don't, but you can come to church and 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 we'll pray and you can sing, you can worship. Because I don't know what else to tell you to do. And that innkeeper looked at, at Joseph and his teenage wife. He said, I, I got an inn. You can stay. You can go out back. And, and as the story unfolds, there wasn't, there wasn't those nice little bassinets like they've got at Flowers and like they've got at Southeast Health. It was not that. Not those steel, stainless steel deals that rolls around. And, and uh, y'all, y'all non-medical folks, you may not have known this, but, but there's blanket warmers. There's, there's clean diapers. There, there's all of this stuff that's in a high-tech 21st century labor and delivery to make everything as possibly comfortable, not only for the child, but also for the mother. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus, no crib for a bed, that little Lord Jesus had nowhere to lay his head, so we're going to put you in this manger. You know what a manger is? A manger is where they put the hay so that the cows can eat. Y'all know what slobbering cows are like. Y'all seen that in our area? Think about that. You got a cow that's slobbering and it's in that manger and you're going to take a baby? You're going to put a baby in that manger? It was filthy. It was smelly in that barn. There were flies. You could smell urine. You could smell manure. It was not sanitary. Think about this, men, is that that trembling, crying teenager that is about to birth the salvation of our souls. And there's no doctors and there's no nurses and there's Joseph trying to deliver that baby. Can you imagine that? Think about that, men. You don't have any kind of medical training whatsoever. And now you're in a place, you're 90 miles from home, you're in a stable, and you're going to deliver this baby. He's like, what in the world are you doing to us on Christmas Eve? I'm telling you what Christmas really is all about. It's where the King of kings, Lord of lords, Son of God, entered into this world there in that stable. Symbols all through the story. Humility, poverty, fear. Swaddling clothes are not the marks of money and royalty. In fact, the swaddling clothes themselves, they point to his death because 30 plus years later, they're going to wrap up a dead body and they're going to put him in a tomb. Now we know the other side of it that up from the grave he arose. That he came out of that grave and the hope for all creation was ushered in to our lives and there's hope for that but but just think about this there's no honor in his birth and there's hardly any honor in his death he would tell some of his disciples later on in Luke 9 in verse 58 and Jesus said unto him foxes have holes and birds of the air they have nest but the son of man hath not where to lay his head But you let time pass by, and here's what happens with that because this baby would grow up and he would become a Messiah. He would become a teacher. He would become, as Nicodemus says, rabbi. 
Now think about that. You've got a, you've got a man in John 3 that is a, he's a, he's a leader among the Pharisees and he walks in. This guy's got degrees in theology and he walks into a carpenter. He says, Rabbi, teacher, we know you are a man sent from God. So what happens is as the Lord's mileage stacks up in that earthly ministry, here's what Thomas would say. My Lord and my God. Mary Magdalene would say it like this. We have seen the Lord. John would say it like this. We've seen his glory. And Peter, boy, he really sums it up in his epistle because here's what he says. He said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now think about this, that whatever you come in here this morning with, the challenges and the pressures of life, the dilemma of situations that in your heart that they keep you awake at night and deep down inside it's painful, but you come to church and, and we all put our mask on and we all tie our ties button our jackets and we look good but if you could see on the inside the pain challenges the distress and yet Peter we were eyewitnesses of his majesty and so when you walk in here and you pray or you sing or you read scripture or you hear somebody else read it, or you feel the gentle touch of the Holy Ghost. Here, what's taking place is that baby that was in that manger, his time warped, and now his spirit is in this house. And you say, well, I don't feel it. That might speak to the condition and state of your soul. Because if you're carnal and you're worldly, and you got a thousand other preachers preaching to you, then you probably won't perceive the spiritual manners. And yet, these men and women, they represent, what, what did they see? They saw the splendor of heaven that was there in an earthly body. Well, he looks like a man. He looks like a carpenter. He, he looks like a teacher. Oh, no, no. No, that's God. That's God that's, that's in that flesh. There's times where he looks like a man. He's in a boat. He's asleep. He, he looks like a man. He comes out of the wilderness. He's thirsty. He's hungry. That's called the dual nature of Christ. That he's got to have a body. Why does he have to have a body? Because there's got to be a perfect spotless lamb that pays for our sins. He can't be just a normal man, but he's got to be sinless because that blood's going to be shed. It's going to cover our sin. But, but he, he, he looks like he's asleep. He looks like he's tired. He looks like he's hungry. And yet all of a sudden, the God stands up and says, Peace be still, and everything on the Sea of Galilee is quiet. Hungry? Yeah. Yeah, he's hungry. Hey, 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 guys, how are we going to feed these people? Well, Lord, all we got is this, this kid's lunch. All he's got, Lord, is... It's just some Fritos and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's not what he had. The scripture says it was sardines and a few little biscuits. But will we modernize it? Peanut butter and jelly sandwich and Fritos. <laughs> and the Lord sits down, or as my kids would really, my grandkids, Asher. Yeah, we're going to go to grandma. We're going to let grandma, what's grandma going to do? Well, Grandma is uh, she gonna take us through McDonald's and we gonna get some chicken and fries, and uh, 
And so we got a happy meal. So we put that happy meal in the Lord's hands. Or Carson, about that time, me and you and Addie went to Krispy Kreme. Here's what I did to them. I took them to Krispy Kreme, loaded them up on chocolate milk, loaded them up on donuts, kept them for about 45 minutes, and then dumped them off on their parents. Oh, but use your imagination, okay? Is here's Jesus, whether it's Fritos and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, or whether it's chicken and fries, or whether it's chocolate milk and Krispy Kreme donuts. That 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 God who was hungry sits down, starts breaking that up, and the Bible tells us that he fed the multitudes to such a degree that whenever they got done, they said, We're gonna gather up the fragments. That's KJV for leftovers. And the Bible says that when they gathered up the fragments, there were 12 baskets. You say, why in the world is that important? It's because here's the importance of it is that that baby that was born in Bethlehem, that we're celebrating the birth of, the, of him here in this season, is he's here today. Emperor of Judah. 33 years, the doors of heaven are open up. Why? It's because God came down in flesh. He's here. He's aware. He's alert. And so as one of those songs says that heaven touches earth, why in the world did heaven touch earth so that the earth could know what heaven is like? Think, think about this is is holiness and earthliness that's woven together in that. And yet, really, when you push it through, is you got a common Roman soldier who probably wasn't making too much above minimum wage, takes this Savior and lays him down. And he didn't flinch, he didn't draw back, he didn't cuss, he laid down on that cross. And that Roman soldier who's working for minimum wage, who's working for some nasty rascals, as the Roman governor takes a spike and puts it in that hand and then nails through, and it wasn't really a wrist, it was between the radius and the ulna so that he wouldn't slip off of the cross. You think about that for a moment, that you got a nail that's driven into your wrist, and every time you budge, there's a nerve called the ulnar nerve, and it flinches. It's almost like it, it's an electrical shock. And then he takes his feet, and that Roman soldier nails him to a cross. You say, what in the world? Well, it's paradoxes. It's almost like there are contradictions, and there's mysteries, and, and there's puzzles, and there's riddles that are involved in the incarnation. Then you say, oh, it's just a baby that's born. Oh, no. No, no, it's not just a baby. And yet what does those things look like? His it, it, holiness, his purity, his reverence, his cleanliness. And yet it's amazing. Oh, it's so amazing. That while he could demand purity in John 8, he could stand up for a repentant, immoral woman that was caught in a horrific act and totally and publicly embarrassed and humiliated. And he, I don't know that he excuses her, but he forgives her. Turns around and looks at woman, ma'am, where's your accusers? They're not here. Then go and sin no more. He called men from their nets. He called men from their tax tables, but he would not let them call him king. He sent men to change the world, but he didn't give them swords and spears. He didn't give them a political, uh, a political endorsement. He said, here's what I want you to do. If you're going to change the world, here's how you'll do it. You'll change it with prayer. You'll change it with fasting. And you'll change it with preaching the gospel. That's that baby. It's that baby that's born. And who in the world is he? Well, you had to look for him. 
Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, Come now let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, and though they be red like crimson, they're going to be as wool. See what the prophet says? He says, Come, let us reason together. You're going to have to find him. You're going to have to know more about the Savior than you know about Nick Saban. You're going to have to know more about the Savior than you know about Donald Trump or Joe Biden. You're going to have to know more about the Savior than you know about your spouse or your family member. So how will that happen? You will spend time with him and you will talk to him and you will interact with him. And yet, God forgive us that we squeeze you out of our schedule. Who in the world is this baby He's the one that you're going to find in a stable. He'll smell like sawdust out of that carpenter's shop. He'll touch the sores of a leper and he will heal him. And so when you come in here to worship and you find yourself coming into this house, he's the one that if you look throughout the Gospels, you'll find there were times where hell hissed at him. You'll find that he's the one that sometimes demons cried out and mocked him. Trust me, hell is still hissing at him and demons are still screaming at him. But we come in here and we can meet him. Why is that? It's because he's here to meet his church. Do you really know him? Do you really know him? Has it it been a while since you've seen him? Well, if your prayers seem a little stale... It probably has been too long since you have have seen him. If your faith is trembling and you're like, I don't know what we're going to do, then it may be a little while since you have seen him. If your problems seem to overwhelm you, maybe you need to seek him out because in this season he's disguised as a baby. But don't let that fool you. Don't don't let that fool you that you say, oh, he's just a baby. Oh, no, he's not a baby. He's one literally that has changed my life. There are others of you here today that you could say the same thing. Walked in this morning and was doing a little fellowship or so with the um, various Sunday school teachers and various other folks, and I walked in the room and and I shook Brother Shane's hand and uh, I guess my age is catching up the time warp I'm shaking a man's hand that's probably I don't know late 40s somewhere in that neighborhood I may made you too old Brother Shane I don't know or maybe not old enough but I shook his hand. In my mind, you think about a a young man and we're playing ball and it's Sunday afternoon and it's somewhere in the 80s, early 80s, and we're playing ball. And now you've moved forward almost 40 years and you got a, you got a guy that's moving along. And this morning I was picking a little bit Sister Regina, Brother Sanford, and I moved on. And again, I'm, I'm again, I'm in the car, and we're riding with my mom and dad and Mark. And Regina's in the back seat, her and Mark jawing at me. And uh, and yet, how how has that happened? What's taking place? It's a baby, a baby in Bethlehem. That somewhere has worked its way into, and that's just two. I could name every one of you here this morning. You got a baby that worked his way into their lives, and now they they know that Savior. And so, be careful that you don't let junk religion and emotional highs replace the Lord. Don't don't come in here and and just think, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit in a pew. No, if you know him, you'll despise sitting in a pew. 
If you really know the Lord, here's what will take place. You will regret seasons of lukewarmness. You'll regret seasons of backsliding. You will regret times where that, that God was on the back burner. But here's what my prayer for you here is on this Easter or on this Christmas Eve Sunday morning. As I'm praying God restores your sight, that God restores your vision, and God restores your purpose. So how does he do that? He takes us to Sunday mornings just like this. And he uses songs. He uses praying. He uses his word. What's he doing? He's drawing us in. He's he's pulling us out of a dirty, cluttered up, messed up world. And he's pulling us into a place where that you can really see the miracle of his, his majesty. I want us to stand here this morning. And uh, here's how here's how we're gonna end. <clears throat> Sister Brandy and Sister Regina is uh, gonna lead us in it's another Christmas song, but we probably ought to sing it a lot more than what we do. And um while they're singing, here's what we're going to do. I want us to bring our Christmas for Christ offering. And we're going to sing. And we're going to pray. And we're going to engage. And the Lord's going to touch us. And then some of you, some of us, there's responsibilities that you have throughout the rest of the day. And certainly tomorrow, here, here, here's here's what I want you to do. I want you to talk. I want you to take this baby that I preached to you about here this morning, and I want you to make sure that you take Jesus with you. Make sure that you take Jesus with you, Lord. Your presence has been here the entire time this service has been going on. I pray, Lord, today. God, I felt the conviction of the Spirit. I felt the authority of your word. I pray, Jesus, today that you would help every single one of us, Lord, to know and to believe that, God, this was just not some, Lord, haphazard occurrence God in history but Lord you robed yourself and you dropped in on this world Lord in a in a stable in a manger now Lord help us adore you help us God oh come all ye faithful Help us, Lord, to serve you with everything inside of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you sing? Sister Brandy's going to lead us here this morning.